Hello and welcome to the IIMB podcast brought to you by the Communications Office and Student Media Cell of IIM Bangalore. The podcast series aims to become a modern platform to discuss the latest business, economic, management and social issues that matter. The podcast will witness the IIM Bangalore fraternity including but not limited to the faculty members, students and alumni providing their insights and perspectives to the topics and issues that surround us. This is the first podcast of the new academic year. We have received a tremendous response in the first year of the IAMB podcast series and this year we have a lineup of several interesting and relevant topics in the upcoming weeks. Today we have with us Dr. Ash Renivasan, professor in the strategy area at Indian Institute of Management Bangalore and chairperson of the PGP and PGPBA the flagship programs at IAMB who will be sharing his insights on the topic platform business models professor srinivasan has recently authored a book with the same title published by springer and also released a book on edx with the same topic welcome professor srinivasan to the IAMB podcast it is a pleasure hosting you again thank you my pleasure engaging with you guys So let us start with a brief understanding of what platform business models are for our audience and how they are different from the traditional forms. What are some of the unique characteristics of a platform business and are there more than one type of such platforms? Right. Jawahar this is a very interesting question. Platforms as a business model is quite different from traditional firms. and my favorite examples about platforms are railway platforms newspapers quite pre digital examples but these are excellent examples of how platforms bring together multiple sets of users think of a railway platform the railway platform brings together passengers and trains think of an airport gate the airport as an infrastructure brings together passengers and airlines so in in these kinds of markets or in these kinds of uh, infrastructure it is not just the physical infrastructure these markets also operate provide the base infrastructure on top of that infrastructure they provide a lot of information information about which train goes where which platform has which train which gate has you know which uh, flight where what signages all of that time late delay Uh, boarding time all of that imagine a uh, platform with no information absolute chaos in a complex transaction market if you are looking at a, a roadside bus stop the information can be static these are the buses that stop here period they are okay with it but if you are looking at a more complex arrangement like a train station where there are hundreds of trains coming in at hundreds of times Uh, passengers boarding each train we will have need to have a lot of complex information and the third thing platforms provide is the rules of engagement is the norms of engagement you can't define say that you know what i really like platform number 1 so i'm going to take whichever train that comes in platform number 1 sorry or even a train driver can't say i am whatever uh, premium train i am the rajdhani express i will only go to platform number 2 i will not go to any other platform my favorite number is platform 16 i will go to platform 16 no the signals man won't allow that so the platform in a in a technical sense provides three things it provides an infrastructure it gives a lot of information and it sets a lot of rules 
the norms of interaction, the norms of engagement. And in these uh, kind of platforms, traditional ideas no, that you have learned in your core strategy course of suppliers, customers, these things go for a toss. For an airport, who is a customer? Is the airline a customer or is the passenger a customer? Or is the retail store that set up the shop in the airport a customer? Maybe all three are customers. In a, in a newspaper, who is a customer? A very common example that I keep asking about is newspaper. If you look at the reader as a customer, then you should provide what the reader wants. If customer is there and I provide what the customer wants, right? I may not necessarily be able to provide right information, correct kind of a news. If I look at the advertisers as my customers, then I cannot dance to the tunes of advertisers. If I have a damning report about a company and that company is trying to pay me money saying that please don't write this report about me. Here is money. Please put a great advertisement saying that I'm such a great company. Now I'm not going to listen to the advertisers in total. So there's this fine balance between the different user groups. So therefore, if I look at suppliers, customers, it doesn't work. Right? So therefore, who is a supplier to a newspaper? Who supplies news? Is, is, is the uh, policy, public establishment, the politicians a supplier of news? Am I paying them money to give me content? No. So this notions change. The way I engage with user groups change. And therefore, in traditional pipeline firms, value flows from suppliers to the company, to the customers. Money flows from the customers to the company, to the suppliers. That's why they're called pipeline firms. In contrast, in platform firms, value is co-created. Value is generated together. And then, and value, the number of users that I have define the willingness to pay of the advertisers. Let's take a newspaper or a television channel. More the number of readers or viewers, more the advertisers are willing to pay. More the advertisements on the television channel, less the viewers are going to be loyal to the channel. There are too many advertisements, right? So these kinds of network effects define a very unique balance of user groups in a platform. There are a variety of platforms available in the market. In fact, one can craft your own model with a unique combination of utilities. In my book, in my MOOC, I define four uh, primary utilities that platforms had. The first utility is the discovery utility. Discovery means I am able to discover something, discover something on the other side. As a, as a user, I want to find the best local shop that can fix my laptop. I want to find the best fellow who can say fix my bicycle. Now that's the discovery. One side is looking for users on the other side. The second utility platforms can do that, and there are platforms which are like only discovery. Discovery only is their role. The second uh, utility is platforms can also get into what are called as matching markets. Discovery is I look for something. In matching markets, it is about the preference of the other side as well. The same way I look at uh, how I look for a bicycle repair shop is not how I look at somebody in say Tinder or in uh, say matrimony. In discovery value, it is sufficient for me to like the tomato ketchup. The tomato ketchup does not have to like me. 
Whereas on Tinder, I like somebody, the other side also has to like me. That's where we are talking about matching. Matching is an intersection of preferences, two-sided discovery. That's the second utility. There are some platforms which not only do discovery, they also do two-way discovery, which is matching. The third utility is transaction. Some platforms take responsibility for transaction. They complete the transactions inside the platform. Say when you hire an Uber, you pay Uber. Uber pays the driver. It is not that Uber's job that they help you find the driver. Now you guys figure it out. Now you guys figure out how do you price it. Now you guys figure out whether he wants to go or not. No, that's not. Uber says, I will take responsibility for the transaction. You tell me where you want to go. I will give you a driver who will take you there. You, you wanted a sedan, I will get you a sedan. You wanted uh, this thing, I will do whatever you comforts you wanted. I take responsibility for pricing. I will tell you upfront this is the price. You don't negotiate with the driver on price. You pay Uber. Uber's contract with the driver is none of your business. The transaction happens inside Uber. Right? So some response, some platforms take responsibility for the transactions. But some others can't do, should not do this. Imagine Tinder taking responsibility. Imagine matrimony taking responsibility that your match will be wonderful, that you will live happily ever after. No, thank you. Matrimony's job is to only match. After that, you guys figure out your families don't like each other. You guys, five years later, you guys decide to separate. You can't go blame matrimony saying that you told me, therefore I married her. Can't work. Their responsibility ends at matching. Their utility ends at matching. Whereas Uber also integrates transaction utility in the platform. The fourth utility is what I call as evaluation. Evaluation is I'm evaluating the quality reliability of the other side. And evaluation is also four nuances. Evaluation, what I popularly call as three RF. Three R's and one F. What are the three R's? Ratings. Ratings is numeric ratings. At the end of, like for instance, in the end of your course, you guys give a numeric rating to the course. This course on a five-point scale, I like it at 4.3. I like it at 1.8. There's a numeric rating. Rating is an overall numeric evaluation and ratings are used when it is comparable. You can compare course A with course B. You can compare aloe parata A with aloe parata B. Therefore, numeric ratings. The second uh, R is what are called as reviews. Reviews are a little more nuanced than ratings. What do reviews do? I'm also describing, explaining why I gave this rating. I gave this rating 4.8. This is a wonderful professor. This is a wonderful thing. You know what, but the workload is very high. Had the workload not been this high, I would have given five. Now I'm giving you 4.8 because the workload was high. I'm giving 4.3 because it required R programming and I, you know, whatever, I had forgotten my R programming three years ago. Now, these are kinds of reviews. It's a qualitative assessment of the other side. That's the second R, reviews. The third R is the recommendation. Therefore, you tell your juniors, no, take these kinds of courses, take these kinds of courses. If this, then this. If you want consulting jobs, then take A, B, C, D courses. Now, we are looking at recommendations. So ratings, numeric, comparable, reviews, description of the different utilities, sub-utilities of the same thing. Recommendation, if you want a romantic evening, go to this restaurant. If you want authentic food, go to this restaurant. You want authentic food, you are willing to wait 
for getting a table, go there. No, 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 I want ambience, very good. I don't care about the quality of food. I want a quiet ambience to spend time with my date. Go to this restaurant. Now they're talking recommendation, if then else. The fourth nuance in feedback is feedback, F. Feedback is provided to the service provider. You tell the restaurant, if you did this, 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 then your dish would be wonderful. If you actually increase your parking size in Saturdays and Sundays, you'll possibly get more customers. If you did this, this will be better. Your spice is too high. If you reduce your spice, I would possibly eat more of these. I'll possibly eat this more frequently. Now, this is a feedback. Think of these four things and, and this evaluation, 3R and F, rating, review, recommendation and feedback, also forms the basis for discovery. When other users, when Aman starts looking for restaurants, he's looking for what is Jawahar's feedback on the restaurant? That becomes the basis for his discovery. He may say that I want to only look at 4.4 plus rated restaurants. So think of this as a cycle. Discovery, matching, transaction, evaluation, leading to discovery. Now, as a platform creator, you can actually play around with these. I want to do a lot of discovery, some transaction. I want to do discovery and matching, nothing else. I want to do discovery and evaluation only, no matching, no transaction. You can craft your business model around these four utilities. Therefore, there are infinite possibilities of creating different business models around platforms. That would have given a detailed insight for our listeners into platform business models. Uh, we have also witnessed that there has been a sharp increase in the number of platform businesses over the recent years. What has led to such an increase and is the penetration of accessible and affordable internet the only factor leading to this group? Yeah, that is one reason, but there are more. You know, this internet has enabled transactions with strangers. Pre-internet, you would engage with transactions with people whom you knew, even on the even on telephone. You would you would only talk to people whom you would know before. Internet has enabled transactions with people and transactions across space, language, and time barriers. Telephone is synchronous. If I'm talking to you right now, we are synchronous. You are talking, I am talking, we are live. Email is asynchronous. I send you an email. You can respond back when you have time. I can respond to that when I have time. Now, internet has enabled asynchronous relationships. And if you put that on a mobile phone, the app, right? So there is a database which is central. And from that database, I can do this asynchronous relationship always on, easy to use. At any point in time, it is available. But it is still asynchronous. Now that is the power of internet and mobile right now. And mobile apps definitely light on data, very easy to use. But in terms of the platform story, there is much more to platform growth beyond this internet and mobile. What do these social networks do? These social networks connect people. There are these uh, platforms which provide seamless integration of data across businesses. My ERP and your ERP starts talking to each other. Right Now we are talking about data access, seamless integration of business processes. A lot of platforms which allow for such kinds of integration, integration across business data. My sales data is your procurement data. How does my procurement, my production plan fit into your procurement plan? Now those kinds of relationships. If I take this to government, 
platforms promote transparency, fairness in government or public dealings. There's a lot of auctioning that happens. I, I have a fair price. I have an open, transparent price. I define my cost and my margins absolutely open. Who is L1, who is L2 is openly available on a public website. Right? Now we're talking about transparency and fairness. So platforms can actually do both. It can do efficiency. It can do uh, connections. It can do seamless integration. It can also promote transparency and fairness. Now, given that all of this can happen, right, there's a lot of platforms that are actually leveraging all of this together, multiple things together, both transparency, fairness, as well as business process integration, as well as connecting people together. Therefore, you, you, you don't look at platforms as just e-commerce. That's one kind of platforms, but then platforms can actually increase efficiency of your supply chains. Platforms can help me track, like for instance, there are platforms which track real-time data on where the trucks are and what is contained in each of the trucks. Now, that is improving the efficiency of supply chains. Maybe it can look at, analyze your purchasing behavior and therefore help me do better CRM and therefore give you more meaningful, useful recommendations. The data analysis around you, I can actually get down to segmenting you, you know, uh, as the marketers say, the segment of one. I can do all of this with platforms. So it's not just about the front end, which is the mobile, internet, affordable, this one. There's also a lot of things that have happened in the back end. Our analytics tools have increased, our cloud storage has improved. A lot of this at the back end, digital in the back end, has also enabled platforms. There, are, there could be platforms where the back end is very digital. The front end may not be even digital. The front end may still be physical. Because the back end is so well digital, you could actually do very well there. So therefore, the rapid growth that we're talking about, the rapid increase in number of uh, platforms is largely because network effects kick in into platforms. Once the investments, the upfront investments are fixed, are sunk, the marginal cost of user addition tends to zero. The cost that I spend in adding one additional user if it is, gets to zero, then I am in a place where rapid scaling is possible. Because I can scale rapidly, my valuations are soaring very high. The more users I have, the more usage I have, the more data I have, the more valuable the data is to the other side of the platform, and therefore the valuation soars high. And therefore, everybody who has access to data and analytics are building platforms. That is, I think, more valuable to us than anything else. That is what has increased this proliferation of platforms all over the world. We've looked at the dynamic that enables these platforms to explode on a large scale. Uh, let us now delve a little into the competition that these platforms face. For a firm bringing a new offering into the customer's market with a multi-sided platform model, is there always a first mover advantage or is there a need for continuous innovation for a sustained competitive advantage? There is a race. As I, as I see you, as I hear your question right, you're talking about racing. There is race. The racing is happening to actually make sure that the market becomes a winner-takes-all market. 
some markets are winner takes all markets what are these winner takes all markets winner takes all markets these markets can only support one or at most few corporations they cannot have multiple corporations why can't they have multiple corporations because of this concept called multi homing cost multi homing cost is very different from switching costs in switching costs we are leaving one and going to another i leave this platform i leave this product i go to another product i leave colgate i go to Uh, say close up now we are talking switching multi homing is doing both together in in most of these platforms some of these markets have very high multi homing costs imagine a company having uh, both uh, oracle and an sap erp very difficult the processes are very different the definitions are very different can you have a Honda scooter as well as a Vespa scooter, obviously yes. The modules are same, the standards are similar. It doesn't make a big difference for you to switch from a Honda to a say uh, Vespa. But if you had a Honda scooter and a bullet motorcycle, you possibly will face some initial 15 seconds, 20 seconds of adapting back to the bullet. But then there is some muscle memory that will pick in, and therefore you can still do. Two two motorcycles at home, a scooter and a motorcycle at home. Now this is multi-homing. Now imagine in social networks you have multi-homing. You have Facebook and another competitor to Facebook. How difficult it is for you to maintain your network, maintain the network of friends on both Facebook and another place. Now that is where these markets are dinner takes all. What these companies do as a competitive strategy is to raise. to make the market winner takes all how do i raise to make the market winner takes all i need to become the standard i need to become the verb what is social networking is facebook facebook is the definition of social networking what is internet based messaging right whatsapp we have telegram signal all of that or even uh, you know i message i'm racing to become a standard once the standards are set then the platforms are increasing their multi homing costs whatsapp tries to lock you in with everything it provides you video sharing it provides you text sharing it provides you payment everything and then there is no niches available there are no small platforms that can there could there won't be a, a platform where a whatsapp for videos or a whatsapp for audio a whatsapp for photographs no the whatsapp whatsapp can do everything and once they can do everything they decimated all the niches they can dominate the market so what do you do as a competitive strategy is you race to acquire customers you race to set standards through variety of means once you raced once you got into that place where i have set the standards i have the dominance in terms of number of customers i have gotten it i don't need to worry about anything else i will have my advantage but to do this i need innovation i need continuous value creation otherwise if i don't do this continuous innovation i can't sustain this network effects niches will evolve there will be people who will have whatsapp and then they will also have google pay if whatsapp doesn't integrate payments there will be people who will have a text sharing platform they will have somebody who will have say scheduling platform whatsapp still doesn't allow us to schedule meetings so therefore possibly will people go and create something else meeting scheduling or you know those kinds of things niches will evolve and therefore 
a plethora of standards that will happen in the market. Competitive advantage is sustainable if you are continuously innovating and making sure that the market is winner takes all and you don't allow any more niches to evolve. Since this is a race like discussed about, should companies focus on making a platform feature rich or should they release an MVP for quick market entry when designing a platform? What do you think are the pros and cons of each approach? Contrary to traditional products, where I would urge entrepreneurs and startups to start with a minimum viable product, I would urge platform startups to spend a little more time on design. You architect and then you build. The design part of it are four blocks, four steps. Step number one, define what is your value architecture. What of your DMTA that you're going to do? What is your signature combination of discovery, matching, transaction, evaluation, utilities? Define that very clearly upfront. Second thing is you need to characterize your users, your segments, and define why your users are willing to join your platform, willing to pay for the services, products, uh, access information that you provide on the platform. They're willing to stay loyal to the platform and they're willing to promote your platform. In unlike in traditional uh, language, I'm talking about four willingnesses here. Willingness to join, willingness to affiliate, willingness to pay, willingness to stay, stay loyal, and willingness to promote the platform to other users. That is when the network effects exponentially increase. Identify what is it that you provide that your users are able to do, willing to do all this for. Join, pay, stay, and promote. The third step in platform design is to define your pricing model. Define your pricing, define your network mobilization strategy. In a lot of these platforms, these platforms are stuck with what I call as a penguin problem. Uh, nobody joins unless everybody joins. How would you like to be the first uh, user on a say matrimony platform? There are no other brides. You're the first groom on the platform. What do the brides think of you? They think of you as a desperate, there's nobody else and this guy is already there. Therefore, you wait for sufficient number of brides to join the platform. The same way, no bride is joining unless there are sufficient grooms on the platform. Grooms don't join unless the brides join, brides don't join unless the grooms join. So therefore, there is a clear chicken egg problem. This problem in literature is also called as a penguin problem. You need to solve this penguin problem. You need to solve this chicken egg problem. What comes first? How do I get my first block of users? This is very critical in platform development and growth because in traditional pipeline businesses, you can invest upfront and grow customers, grow users one by one because the users are willing to pay for your inherent utility. Platform users are willing to pay for the number and quality of users on the other side. Therefore, unless the other side is there, this side is not coming. Very critical decision on how do I solve this chicken egg problem. That's the third step. The fourth step is not just about building this network effects, I need to sustain this network effects, grow the market. As I grow this market, I need to build all of these. Without these four, defining the value architecture, why your users are willing to join, pay, stay, and promote, your pricing model and your mobilization network mobilization strategy, how do you solve the chicken egg problem, and how do I build and sustain network effects? If I don't have clarity on all of these, don't launch. Get all of these right, 
this is paper on paper get your architecture right maybe test small pilots in small geographies and then slowly grow your products stage your products and services maybe from more critical products to lesser critical products but your initial offering should have the visibility to how do i sustain my network effects it may be slow but once the network effects kick in then there is no stopping is there a simple recipe for winning this race and being successful or are there other nuances to it than what we have discussed so far what are some of the key indicators that makes a platform model successful could you give us some examples of firms which are operating as a platform or uh, have transitioned to being a platform and found overwhelming success so as we spoke about there are three key indicators of platform success when do i say a platform has become successful one the network effects are kicked in which means the marginal cost of new new user addition is zero two users exhibit all the four willingnesses willingness to join willingness to pay willingness to stay and willingness to promote three the market is shaping towards a willingness to uh, the market is shaping towards a winner takes all market or at least the winner takes most market in other words the market has high multi homing costs users use only one of the platforms and not multiple platforms multi homing costs think of you know uh, at least on one side of the user group in the ride hailing market say indian market most of us will have multiple cab apps on our platform right on our phone we'll have the uber as well as ola as well as something else but think of it from a driver side can the driver afford to be member of both ola and uber he will not gain his incentives his incentives are gained only when he puts all his eggs in one basket that's the multi homing cost at least one side of the market has to have multi homing cost so the three conditions network effects are kicked in uh, users are willing to join pay stay and promote and the market is shaping towards winner takes all or winner takes most this is when i would say the platform is becoming successful if you are looking for examples of successful platforms say think of globally youtube is a very good example what does youtube do it started with a platform for people sharing their video videos home videos but in a typical video sharing platform the content consumers are far higher than content producers most of us are consumers very few of us are producers so the they this platform has reached that kind of a network effect where what is the marginal cost of that youtube is spending to get one additional consumer zero as long as the search is relevant as long as the search key is good consumers will join the platform will start looking for youtube content what is the marginal cost of adding a content producer on the platform almost close to zero they don't have to go promote saying that please come and join youtube youtube has become that kind of a standard where everybody joins up on youtube so therefore you can get good quality advertisements relevant advertisements yeah compared to google it takes a, it took a long time for youtube to get relevance because text is very different from video video can have sarcasm video can have non verbal cues and therefore the advertisements need the relevance of advertisements is a little different yeah but once you got that once they mastered the relevance 
YouTube is a self-rolling uh, platform. It just rolls on its own. You don't have, you don't need any support to YouTube to grow. Closer home, companies like India Mart. India Mart is a wonderful example. India Mart started as an exporter's database. People, uh, suppliers who would produce goods, industrial goods, B2B, and export it all over the world. Small exporters will have trouble going into expos and trade fairs across the world. So therefore, India Mart said that we will create your own website in the early days of dot-com boom. We will create a website, give you visibility to the globe, and therefore we will route your uh, exports through us. Over a period of time, dot-com boom and the dot-com bust and all of that has happened. New India Mart has evolved into country's largest marketplace for industrial goods. It is a go-to place for finding suppliers for any products. And the best part about India Mart's network effects is the suppliers are, pay, are paying money, not the buyers. The suppliers are paying money to be affiliated to India Mart. And when the consumers, the, when the suppliers, sellers become buyers, the loop is completed. And therefore, the, the market will sustain itself. India Mart doesn't have to spend money to go and tell a supplier that you want a B2B supplier, please get onto India Mart. No, that's the default standard to go to India Mart. List yourself on India Mart, you will get business. Another firm which has dominated the market, which has dominated its ecosystem, is this company called Tally. Tally, the accounting uh, product, started as an accounting product, slowly transitioned to become a platform. And it has enabled thousands of accountants, small medium businesses, auditors, startups engage with each other. And for a, for a lot of accountants, any any learning about computer software is about learning tally. I learned tally, I know computerized software, computerized accounting. It's become that kind of a standard. These are examples of companies that have dominated the market and they have possibly done exceedingly well in terms of having got the network effects kicked in and having become a default verb in the in their marketplaces. What in your opinion are some of the most critical extraneous factors which play a role in the success or failure of such new age businesses such as YouTube and Tally? To what extent does the regulation and maturity of the consumer markets in a country have an impact over this success? For sure, regulation is important, especially in consumer platforms with all this noise that's happening about data privacy and security. As the market matures, no, people get comfortable using an intermediary. The intermediary serves as a quality certification rather than spend my own time, effort, money in validation. Right? They're willing to pay for bridging this. Effectively, the platforms in this case are bridging this gap of gap in information, this information asymmetry. So as long as there are inefficiencies in the market, platforms will succeed. Platforms bridge information asymmetries and therefore they will succeed. Looking at India, India is a market where there is a lot of service. It's a service dominated market. In India, no, everything is available as a service. You don't, you know, my, my favorite example is you don't buy furniture and assemble it yourself. You don't do, do it yourself. I, IKEA will not succeed in India. You will hire a carpenter 
to assemble that furniture for you. Even cleaning your own house, you have helpers. The labor market is very mature. Everything is servitized. Given that servitization has matured in India, platformization is very easy. I'm very comfortable using an intermediary to help me find a house. I'm very comfortable using an intermediary to help me transport my goods. I'm very comfortable finding an intermediary to help me paint my house. Given that the servitization is high, platformization is very easy and the innovations in the market are very large. The information asymmetries are large and therefore moral hazards and adverse selection, all of them are very high. Therefore, there is a very likely possibility that the market will degenerate without all of these inefficiencies, uh, with all these inefficiencies. Some, some of these markets have actually become market for lemons. Here is where platforms can bridge that gap. Think of a used goods marketplace. How do you sell your old uh, furniture? Or how do you sell your old, say, motorcycles? Now, here is where the consumer marketplace, like OLX or Quicker, have came and bridged these markets. High information asymmetry markets. In this high information asymmetry, the used goods marketplaces have thrived. And they've done exceedingly well. Think of real estate, huge information asymmetry. Platform markets have evolved and solved a lot of inefficiencies. In fact, there is one broker, one intermediary who calls himself as nobroker.com. Nobroker.com is also in, in, in a branding sense, he's saying that there's no broker, right? But he is actually performing that intermediary role. Given that this inefficiencies exist, the markets will always be open for new company, new platforms. Regulation, yes, is important, and a lot of things that are happening about data and privacy. But as long as there are inefficiencies, we will get someone to help us. Can the developing economies do something from a policy perspective to attract and nurture new businesses and uh, join the elite club of trillion-dollar economies? Or uh, do the developed Western countries still hold the higher econ economic advantage? I don't see any difference between developing countries and developed economies in the evolution of platforms. It possibly, you know, from an entrepreneurial point of view, the Western world or developed world can have more access to capital to scale up your business, maybe access to technological resources. But as engineering talent and capital efficiency, capital availability are bridged, the soft banks and the Tiger Globals and Sequoias are investing in India. You will have enough companies, enough global companies that's coming out of India. As long as there and, and, and these kinds of emerging economies have large markets, inefficient markets, and the scale is very high. Right? Some of our cities are bigger than countries' populations. And therefore, as long as we build this entrepreneurial culture, provide access to technology and capital, I don't see a reason why this gap will, will exist. It, it's about how capital and uh, technological resources flow. If you bridge that gap, we surely have no difference. And with all this demographic dividend and uh, cultural diversity, uh, linguistic diversity, we are a rich bed of innovation. One last question. What are some of the unexplored sectors which can benefit from a platform model? And where do you think are the platform business models headed towards in the future? 
Oh, as I told you before, no platforms can help in every market. Every market that's plagued by inefficiencies. Wherever there is inefficiency, somebody has to discover, somebody has to do matchmaking, the transaction inefficiencies, incompleteness of markets. I don't know the quality evaluation, right? Wherever there are inefficiencies, platforms can enter and uh, address these inefficiencies, whatever they are. Maybe, you know, finding office supplies, maybe finding art, buying art, maybe, you know, I want to find a craft teacher who can te teach art in Bangalore online. I can put all the filters and I can still find an art teacher, sports coaches, right? Everything can be platformized as long as there are inefficiencies. So since you ask for uh, new or innovative business models, where innovative context where platforms can be used, uh, let me give you a few examples. One is this idea of edtech, education. In public education, in government state education textbooks, here is a societal platform which has actually put QR codes, printed QR codes on every chapter of a textbook. But this QR code is beautiful uh, identifier. What can I do? I take my telephone, standard Android phone or a mobile phone, do the QR code scanner, and then I log into whoever I am, whatever role I am. If I'm a student and I'm seeing this particular chapter on say South America, as a student, I'll get more visual, this thing of South America. I will possibly have a video of Amazon River. I'll possibly have a map, a three-dimensional map of South America and all that stuff. But if I'm a teacher, I'm logged in as a teacher and I'm lo looking at the same QR code, I'll possibly get a lesson plan on how do I teach these lessons. I'll possibly have YouTube videos that I can show to my class. If I'm a teacher who is looking at it in August, I'll get a different content. If I'm getting it in October, in maybe or in February, March, I'll possibly get possible exam questions on the same QR code. What have we done? We've gotten this text, this particular chapter, a unique identifier. This unique identifier, depending on the person who is looking at it, depending on the time that is looking at it, is giving me taking me to different content, different URL. It's a redirecting, right? And, and that societal platform, they, they call it societal platform. This is from a company, a foundation called XTEP Foundation. The, the, the founders of XTEP Foundation, the managers at XTEP Foundation were possible, were the people who were involved in India's unique uh, uh, identity project, India's identity project called the Aadhaar. They effectively said that they're putting an Aadhaar card for every chapter every textbook chapter. Now, look at the power of this platform. I can get the for-profit corporations engaged. So when I scan the QR code, I can have a paid content from say the um, coaching classes of the world. I can have free content, which is from the state uh, education textbook, what I said, textbook societies, SCRTs, NCRTs. I can have independent teachers putting up content of their own. And I can have students who have understood this in their own language, putting up their content. So I can actually look at the South America chapter and be able to learn this in Gujarati, in whatever uh, 3D. If I have money to pay, I'll possibly pay money and download a audio app, audio file about South America. I can do infinite possibilities around just this 
textbook. The second thing, second kind of uh, inefficiencies or platform opportunities are services. Think about it. Working women, working men, I have nobody to walk my dog. Can I have a platform to find people who are otherwise lonely? They may not necessarily be wanting money, but they are possibly looking at beating their loneliness. So therefore, let's bring that fellows of beating loneliness and people who are looking to walk the dog. Can we create a walkmydog.com? Right. Great opportunity. Veterinarians, pet care. I have my dog at home. The dog is sick. Contrary to human hospitals, where the hospital is a sanitized place and the home is uh, whatever, dirty, the veterinary hospitals are a source of infection. The home is possibly the most sanitized place. Can I get the veterinarians to come home? Right? Can I have an annual contract where the veterinarians come home every third Sunday? Do a health check, monthly health check, clip the nails, right? Do all of that. Housemates. How do I know the quality of housemates? How do I know whether she is what she, who she whom she is? How do I know what is her experience? She claims that she's been you know, cleaning houses for 10 years. How do I know? Can we create a platform around housemates? Services where there are huge information asymmetries are great opportunities to create platforms. A third place that I can think of, again, is credit, loans, collateral free loans. I want quick working capital. I'm a motorcycle repair shop. I got a old vintage uh, whatever bullet to restore. It requires working capital. I have the customer who's given me my order. So I have the invoice with me. So I am going to bill this customer 80,000 bucks, but I don't have cash to buy 30,000 bucks worth of spares. Can I go take this invoice and do an invoice discounting? If I go to a bank, the bank is going to kill me with paperwork, traditional bank. Can I have collateral free? Can I source this from other peers? Are there people with surplus cash who are looking for more returns? Quick returns, right? So there could be peer lending, there could be invoice discounting. All of this is building around the data, building around inefficiencies in the market. So the show me a market, show me an inefficient market, I will build a platform for you. That, that's where we are talking about. So therefore, as long as there are inefficiencies in markets, as long as there are information asymmetries in the markets, there will be platforms. That indeed shows us a glimpse of the many possible applications of platforms in the near future. Thank you so much, Professor Srinivasan, for your time today to enlighten our listeners on this topic. It was an interesting and informative discussion on platform businesses and your analogies were a delight, which we are sure our audience will enjoy. It was really a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you, Jawahar. It has been a pleasure talking about this. And I would urge people who want to know more about platforms to go back and engage either on the edX MOOC or the book on platform business models. Thank you. So that's it from the IAMB podcast today. Do send in your comments, feedback, and suggestions. We will be happy to read them. Have a great day, everyone, and stay safe.